Welcome to the second Sunday of Advent. As uh, Felix was sharing, during Advent, we take time to reflect on the full implications of the arrival of a holy Christ into a sinful, broken world. And uh, we are also in the second week of an Advent sermon series from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Uh, the Old Testament is that part of the Bible that was written before Christ was born. And Isaiah actually lived 700 years before Jesus was born. And he wrote a lot about Jesus. The book of Isaiah is extraordinarily vivid in uh, portraying both the grave darkness of human sinfulness and the dazzling light of God's grace. Isaiah is a book of blunt warning. God warns people about the consequences of sin in no uncertain terms. But Isaiah is also a book of wonder. And the book is full of direct references, references to the nature and, and the joy of the coming of Jesus Christ, the Son of God and the Savior of the world. In short, Isaiah is a book full of both truth and grace, which is one of the reasons why we're doing a, a four-part sermon series uh, during the Sunday, Sundays of Advent in the run-up to, to Christmas. Uh, today, we're going to be looking at uh, Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verses 1 to 7. It's going to come up for us on screen. Uh, allow me to read it for us. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, verses 1 to 7. But there will be gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, God brought into content the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide their spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. For to us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the Jesus that we worship. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Uh, the second part of this passage is perhaps uh, one of the most popular Christmas passages in all of the Bible. Verse 6, who hasn't heard of verse 6? For to us... A child is born. To us, a son is given. But this morning, 
I'd like to focus um, more on the less familiar first two, pass first two verses of this passage. I read the entire passage so that we can have the full context and see how this passage we're looking at is connected to this promise, even as just prayed for us, the promise of Jesus Christ being given to us, of God sacrificing his son for our sake. That's the context. But we're going to be focusing on the first two verses. Allow me to read it for us. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, God brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Uh, before we dive into this passage, allow me to take a quick moment to show, show us how Jesus Christ is the central theme and the fulfillment of this passage in the book of Isaiah. We did that last week too when we looked at Isaiah chapter 6, and I'd like to do that this week too. Uh, most of us, um, even if we are not Christians, even if we are not followers of Jesus, would have a vague sense of um, the sequence of events that led uh, to Jesus beginning his public ministry. Jesus was born of a virgin conceived by the Holy Spirit. When he was around 30 years old, he was baptized by a man who was called as John the Baptist. He was filled by the Holy Spirit and he was led by the Spirit uh, to the wilderness where he was tested, tempted uh, by the devil for 40 days and 40 nights. And even though he was tempted in every way, just as we are, he did not sin. And so after this period of trial, Jesus began his public ministry of teaching and loving and serving and healing people. Now, Matthew chapter 4, Matthew's book of the New Testament, one of the disciples of Jesus named Matthew wrote a full account of the life, death and the resurrection of Jesus. He wrote this book. And so Matthew chapter 4 uh, describes how Jesus began his public ministry. Let me read that verse for us. Then the devil left him, that is Jesus, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. And verse 12. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. This is Jesus. And leaving Nazareth, Jesus went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. The same region that I say I was talking. Let's go on. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. I hope you see the connection. Matthew, uh, who lived 700 years after Isaiah, wrote this passage, is looking back at what Isaiah has written, and he is connecting that passage we saw in Isaiah 9 to how Jesus began his ministry. Both Isaiah and Matthew are calling us to see that Jesus Christ chose the land of Zebulun and Naphtali in the region of Galilee to begin 
his public ministry. And later in this talk, we're going to come back to see the significance of Zebulun and Naphtali in the region of Galilee. Well, let me talk about light and darkness. Jesus is the great light that the people in darkness saw. Jesus came as light into the darkness. Well, in this age and time that we live in, who's afraid of darkness? It's, it, we hardly ever think about darkness. Uh, I don't think any of us have ever seen a world without electricity. Even remote villages, most remote villages in India have electricity these days. In the cities, of course, we hardly ever see power cuts. Um, even if there's a power cut for a few minutes or even hours, it doesn't really make us afraid. Uh, we just whip out our cell phones and put the torch on and, and, and hey, hey, there's light. And, and we were pretty okay. And, and so, so when, when the Bible says Jesus gave us light into the darkness, uh, honestly, it means nothing to us because darkness means nothing to us. And, uh, but back then when Jesus lived, darkness was a, was a big deal. So I'm going to take a couple of minutes to just help us appreciate what it really means when the Bible says Jesus came as light into the darkness. Uh, I want to tell you the story of a dad. And uh, this dad was a really loving father. And he had this um, four-year-old daughter that he absolutely loved and adored. And they had a, this father and daughter had a very special relationship. Uh, it was Christmas season. And um, uh, the dad got this really beautiful uh, Lego puzzle for his daughter. And uh, it is quite a complicated puzzle and a pretty big one. And um, as the dad gave the gift to his daughter, the daughter was excited. And to the father's surprise, the daughter was pretty good at, even though she was just four years old. She, she, I mean, that, that Lego puzzle was designed for teenagers. Um, but the daughter, four-year-old daughter, was pretty good at it. And uh, the daughter just enjoyed. She spent hours and hours and hours putting that uh, uh, Lego puzzle together, building that Lego uh, puzzle. And uh, the father lovingly watched his daughter as she spent the hours. Um, and he was proud uh, at, at, the, at the skills that his daughter was uh, displaying at such a such a young age, uh, it took a few days to as a as a as a daughter kind of herself on her own build a puzzle, and uh, it was about ninety ninety five percent complete. Uh, it was getting pretty late into the night that day, and uh, the dad the dad told the daughter, "We're going to finish this tomorrow. It's bedtime. Let's go to bed." And uh, and they went to bed. As they were fast asleep. The father heard a little bit of a noise and he, he just walked out to see what the noise uh, was all about. But because he was walking in the darkness, he stepped on his daughter's Lego puzzle. He cut his leg, destroyed everything that the daughter has built. And in the darkness, he broke his beloved daughter's heart. You see, when we walk in darkness, we end up hurting ourselves and we end up hurting others, even the ones we love dearly. Consider a couple of things here, please. First, this is not just a Lego puzzle story. This is true of all of our life too. 
when we walk in spiritual darkness, and I'll explain what spiritual darkness really is. When we walk in spiritual darkness, we hurt ourselves and we hurt people around us, even the ones that we dearly, dearly love. That's the first thing I want, want us to see from, this, from that story. Second, some of our spiritual darkness is self-imposed. Hey, this father had light at his home. The electricity was working just fine. He could have switched the light on and saved all the trouble. But in his sleepy stupor, he forgot to switch the light on and he broke his daughter's heart. We have, all of us, we have that spiritual light in Jesus. But so often we don't go to him and we end up living in self-imposed spiritual darkness and we end up hurting ourselves and others. We, we, we who have seen Jesus Christ, the light who has come into the darkness of the world, we still continue to walk in spiritual darkness so often. With all that said about light and darkness, I want to draw three things out for us from this passage. First, I want to, I want to talk about the nature of darkness, the nature of darkness in your lives and mine. Second, I want to talk about how Christ deals with darkness. And third, I want to talk about our response to Jesus Christ, the light of the world. The nature of darkness, how Christ deals with darkness, and our response to Jesus Christ, the light of the world. So let's start with the first thing, the nature of darkness. Before I, I, I really start talking about the nature of darkness, let me just take a quick moment to, to uh, help us understand the historical significance of Zebulun and Naphtali. I mean, you've never heard, even if you're a Christian, you've probably never heard of these two names. And if you're uh, a, an explorer, someone who's come to uh, first time, uh, first time uh, for this online service at New City, I bet you didn't sign up to hear about Zebulun and, and, and Naphtali. Uh, but let me assure you, it's, it's going to be relevant to our lives. So let me just take a couple of minutes. Um, and if you're feeling, if you're wondering what Zebulun and Naphtali is, uh, you know, we're all on the same board. Most Christians uh, uh, wouldn't really appreciate the significance. And to be honest, I didn't appreciate it at all till I began preparing uh, for this uh, sermon. But I hope you caught the significance that both Isaiah and Matthew make it a point to tell us that Jesus began his public ministry from Zebulun and Naphtali. And we're going to look at why that is. And that is hugely relevant to our lives here and now. So a little bit of context. Zebulun and Naphtali were part of the two tribes or two were two of the twelve tribes of Israel. That Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, Savior for all nations, Savior for all peoples, would be given to the world through the nation of Israel, through these twelve tribes. And so God called the nation of Israel, he formed this nation, and he gave each of these 12 tribes specific portions of land to live in. And Zebulun and Naphtali were two tribes, and they were given land in the northeastern region of Israel. Now, if you see a map of Israel, I'm not going to bore you with, with all of the details of geography, but let me just say that Zebulun and Naphtali were the furthest away from the spiritual capital of Israel, which is Judea, Judea and, and Jerusalem. And so they were really, these two regions were really far away from the heart 
of, of the spiritual capital of the region. And uh, much like Northeastern India, uh, Northeastern Israel, which is Zebulun and Naphtali, was also often unfairly neglected. And not only was these two regions far away from the spiritual capital, it was also close to enemy territory. So Assyria, which was an enemy nation, would come and invade and carry just people from Zebulun and Naphtali as hostages. This happened quite a bit. And as a result of all this, over the centuries, people living in Zebulun and Naphtali were unable to hold on to the teachings of the God of the Bible. And they strayed far away from the teachings of God. And, and they were kind of caught up and absorbed in all kinds of false teachings and all kinds of uh, 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 false uh, uh, notions of God. The, the real God was exchanged for all kinds of fake idols. And, you know, people were sacrificing their children and all kinds of unmentionable things uh, were happening. There was truly darkness. And this is why Isaiah called Zebulun and Naphtali a place of darkness. Now, this is where this passage really comes home to our heart, where we live here and now relevant to our lives. This passage, and I help us see this, is warning us about the darkness of godless prosperity. The darkness of godless prosperity. Zebulun and Naphtali were the most fertile regions in all of Israel. When the economy, uh, at a time when the economy was mostly centered on agriculture and fishing, this was the most prosperous region in all of Israel. We see this in Deuteronomy chapter 33, which is another book in the Old Testament, when Moses blesses all the tribes. He's, Moses says, Zebulun will draw from the abundance of seas and the hidden treasures of sand. And he said, Naphtali is going to be full of blessings. Centuries later, Zebul and Naphtali were indeed prosperous, but they had become godless. They had lost their faith in God. They had lost their love for God. They had lost a heart of worship. And their prosperity had attracted foreigners from all around. And, and the people in, of Zebul and Naphtali ended up rejecting this God and embracing all kinds of dark practices. Zebulun and Naphtali were chained in the darkness of godless prosperity. Godless prosperity. Doesn't that sound very familiar to all of us? We all want God to bless our careers and our finances. We all want to be successful and, and even famous. But quite often, aren't we all just too busy for God? Except when we need his blessing, except we find ourselves in a spot, except when uh, the economic trouble of the pandemic makes our jobs insecure and the stock of layoff and, and pay cuts and, and your landlord is just refusing to cut the rent. Then we cry out to God. You see, at some level, every one of us, myself first, we desire godly prosperity, godless prosperity. Uh, we actually even pray and, and, and we ask God for godless prosperity. Bless me, Lord, 
uh, I, I'm really sorry. I don't have time to live as your disciple, but bless me, Lord. You know, we may not actually say this to God. We may not actually pray this. But isn't this how we actually live our lives? We want God's blessings. But we don't want God. That's godless prosperity. We're just so caught up in our lives. And, and we don't realize that the pursuit of godless prosperity is actually a pursuit of darkness. We're going to end up hurting ourselves. We're going to end up overworking. We're going to end up becoming so anxious, and so stressed, and so desperate within to be successful. We put so much pressure on ourselves. We, we live under the, we perpetually live under the fear of failure. Because you see, we're just so caught up with our careers. We don't have that anger, the beauty and the presence of God who assures us and tells us that life is more than just these things. These are good things, beautiful gifts God has given us. But there's more to life than just this. I told you, I'll define darkness for us in a way we can relate to, not just literal darkness, nobody, which nobody is afraid of. Darkness in your life and mine is basically godlessness. Just, just not thinking about God at all, being totally indifferent to God, ignoring God, except when we are in trouble. That is darkness. We live and walk in darkness when we live lives that are indifferent to God. And as I showed us from the dad-daughter illustration, we hurt ourselves, you know. We hurt ourselves emotionally. We hurt ourselves in so many ways and we hurt our near and dear ones because we are walking in spiritual darkness. This is the nature of darkness in your lives and mine. That's the first thing I wanted to draw for us from the passage. The second thing I wanted to draw for us from this passage is how Christ deals with darkness. The central theme of this passage, both in Isaiah and in Matthew, is that Christ began his public ministry. He began teaching and healing people by coming as a light for a people who were living in darkness first in Zebulun and Naphtali. This is where he began teaching. So what's the significance of Zebulun and Naphtali? Why did Jesus pick this region of Zebulun and Naphtali, which was in the region of Galilee, to begin his public ministry? It's a very simple answer, really. Jesus chose the darkest place to begin his ministry of light. Jesus chose the darkest place to go to first to begin his ministry of light. Zebulun and Naphtali, as I've been saying, was far away from the spiritual capital of Judea and Jerusalem, and it was in darkness. Jesus Christ, the light of the world, went to the darkest place first. That's what Jesus does. He always goes to the darkest places first. Think of our hearts. Think of your heart as a map of Israel, right? And there are parts of our hearts 
And there are parts of our lives that are like Julia. They're close to God. But there are also parts of our life, parts of your heart and mind, that are like Zebulun and Naphtali, where we are walking away from God and we are living in darkness. For some of us, perhaps, it is our careers. That's the land of Zebulun and Naphtali. This is where we struggle the most with a godless attitude. This is when, it is only when we are caught up in the busyness of our careers that we forget God. We, we shut God out of our consciousness. For some of us, our finances are perhaps where we struggle the most. Maybe this is an area where we really, really struggle to trust God. For some of us, maybe Netflix is our land of darkness. You know, we are spending like 10 hours, 12 hours uh, uh, binge watching. Uh, I put my hand up. Not 10 hours, 12 hours, but, but hey, I, I, I have to confess, I've binge watched too. And, and Netflix is, uh, as I keep telling, Netflix is my counselor. I mean, every time I'm kind of emotionally struggling, uh, 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 you know, as a typical Indian male, I don't like to engage with my emotions too much. My wife is a counselor, but I go to Netflix, you know, so I can just forget. And that's just a way of godlessness. That's just the way we, 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 we shut God out of our lives. Or maybe it's online gaming. Uh, I'm not much of a fan of gaming, but, but I know people who just spend hours and hours and uh, hours in gaming. And that's a way of, of just escaping and not depending on God. Maybe it's, maybe uh, sexuality is uh, the Zebulun and Naphtali uh, zones for some of our lives. Maybe that is where we're struggling in utter darkness, disregarding uh, the godly plan for beautiful sexuality. Ignoring that and kind of, kind of just, just living it as our hearts pleases and, and, and destroying ourselves and others around us in, in the process. Selfish ambition, extreme greed, Secret lust, irresponsible laziness. What is your Zebulun? What is your Naphtali? What is the darkest part of your life? What is the darkest zone of your heart? Hey, this is where Jesus desires to come first. That's what Isaiah and Matthew are trying to tell us. It is the darkest part of your hearts and your lives that Christ Jesus chooses to come to first. This is the message of Advent. This is the message of Christmas. The light, Jesus Christ, the light came first to Zebulun and Naphtali. The light came first to the darkest part of Israel. And the light will come first to the darkest part of your heart in life. When we have friends, when, you know, or, or even a spouse, or even a child, you think of your closest relationships. Generally, we celebrate the good parts of the person and we try to uh, pretend the dark parts of the person we love doesn't exist for as long as we can. 
and, and someday we can no longer hold it and we just come all guns blazing and attack that person for, for their sins, right? That's how we behave. That's how we deal with darkness in others. Look at what Jesus is doing. He's not condemning you. He's not punishing us. On the contrary, he came to die for the darkness in your life and mine. And Jesus lovingly, gently, and understanding our pain because he was tempted in every way just as we are and yet without sin. He lived as a man even though he was always fully God. He is fully God. He also lived as fully man. He understands. He knows the temptation. He's faced it. He's overcome it. And so he empathizes with us. Not only does he empathize with us, he also empowers us to overcome the darkness. So he moves straight into the darkest parts of our hearts with love. Maybe it's selfishness. Maybe we just can't stop ourselves from snapping at people, even our loved ones. Maybe we push people away. Whatever it is, the dark aspect of ours, lovingly, compassionately, tenderly, Jesus is moving straight for that. Straight for that. This is how Jesus deals with darkness, by going as the light to the darkest place first. That's the second thing. We saw the nature of darkness. We saw how Jesus deals with darkness. He goes to the darkest part of our hearts first. And and third, I want to close with this third and last thing. Our response to Jesus Christ, the light of the world. So, as Jesus lovingly, gently comes into the dark areas of our hearts, how do we respond? What's, what's our response? My answer might surprise you. Most of the time, our first response when Jesus lovingly comes to the darkest areas of our hearts is to reject him. Think about this. We reject him when he moves into the darkest parts of our hearts. But much love and tenderness, not with condemning, not with condemnation, not with punishment. He, he moves into the darkest part of our hearts to help us, and yet we reject him. Why, why do you think that is? We reject Jesus because we are ashamed and we are afraid that Jesus is going to reject us because our sins are so bad. We reject Jesus afraid he will reject us when he really sees the darkness in your heart. And why? We reject Jesus because we're afraid that Jesus is going to be repulsed by the sins, by our sins. And that's why we, we reject Jesus. We forget. We forget that the grace of God, the grace that Ashish and Hannah led us in that beautiful song, and we forget that the grace of God is the only thing that can truly embrace the flaws of men and women. I want to give us three quick examples, biblical examples of how people tend to reject Jesus first when he lovingly moves to heal them of the darkness within. Three quick examples. Let's start. Um, Jesus, and I've kind of helped us see that, Jesus came first to darkest Zebulun and Naphtali in the region of Galilee. 
So he picked the darkest zone first to go help. And how do you think those people reacted? How do you think the people of Galilee and Zebulun and, and Naphtali responded? They rejected Jesus. They rejected the light. Let me read uh, Matthew chapter 11. It's going to come up for us on screen as well. Verse 20 onwards. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty miracles had been done because these people did not repent. They did not allow Jesus to come into the darkness within. Would you, Chorazin, Chorazin, would you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, other cities, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it'll be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works or miracles done in you had been done in Sodom, Sodom, it would have remained till this day. Zebulun, uh, the cities that we're talking about here, Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, were all in the heart of the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali and Galilee. Jesus went first to the darkest Zebulun and Naphtali where the people of this region rejected Jesus Christ, the light of the world. They pushed him away. Two more examples. Mark chapter 5. We see that Jesus uh, had just healed a man who was violently possessed by an evil spirit. This also happened in, in Galilee, in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. How, how do you think the people of the region reacted when Jesus healed this demon-possessed man? Mark chapter 5, verse 17. And they began to beg Jesus to, de to depart from their region. One last example. Luke chapter 5. Jesus meets Peter. Peter would go on to become a wonderful disciple of Jesus Christ. But this is uh, the, among the earliest encounters that Jesus is having with Peter. Let me give us uh, the context first before we go to the verse. Jesus had gone fishing all night and there was no fish to be caught. He came back the next day morning to the shore and there was Jesus teaching a few people. And Jesus said, can I stand on your boat and, and teach? And so Jesus does that. And then after he finishes teaching, uh, Jesus tells Peter, Put your net on the other side. And Peter's kind of hesitant, but, but he does so nonetheless. And there's so much fish. There's so much fish that he's not able to haul the net in. And in that, in that moment of seeing so much prosperity, what's the first thing that Peter wants to do? He wants to remain godless. He, he sees the catch and then he turns around. He looks at Jesus and says in Luke chapter 5, verse 8, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter realizes that he is in the presence of the very holiness of God, Jesus Christ. He realizes, and Jesus hasn't spoken anything, Jesus hasn't taught anything, but he, Peter realizes his guilt. And his shame and the darkness of his heart weighing heavily. And his first response is not to run to Jesus, to, to be in the light, but to remain in the darkness by, by running away from Jesus. Do you see the, the irony here? Jesus came to Peter 
because Peter was sinful, because Peter was in the dark and he needed help. And God himself came as man and went to Peter. Because he was a sinner. But Peter is saying, because I'm a sinner, go away from me. Jesus came to Peter because he's a sinner. But Peter is saying, because I'm a sinner, go away from me. Do you see it? Peter just did not get the message of Advent. Jesus, I'm sorry, Peter just did not get the message of Christmas. Light came into the darkness. Jesus did not come to judge us and condemn us. It's going to happen later. But right now, we're living in the season where his grace is available freely. When Jesus Christ, the light of the world, comes first to the darkest parts of our hearts, our first response <coughs> is to reject it. Excuse me. At some deep level, we are all crying out in our own unique ways. Depart from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Depart from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. You see, sin is ashamed of holiness. Sin is ashamed of holiness. We reject Jesus because we are afraid that he's going to reject us because we are so bad. We are so dark. We forget that Jesus did not come for our loveliness. He came for our unloveliness. Jesus did not come to us because we are we're beautiful. Jesus came to us because we were ugly. While we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us, as that song said. I want to close with this one thought. Imagine, uh, I think what I'm sharing is going to be uh, very relevant to people who are followers of Jesus. If you're an explorer, um, you'll get the drift. And then you can laugh at our expense. You can, uh, at New City Church, you all love to laugh at Christians. You know, sometimes we are funny people. Uh, we, we, we don't quite live as we ought to. Uh, you know, we talk a lot, but we don't really live up to that. We're learning. I hope you'll be gracious to us. So you can laugh at us, uh, even though this may not apply to you. So imagine there are two kinds of personalities living in each of us. The first is the Judea kind of person, close to God close to the spiritual capital, all good and well-behaved. And let's call this the Sunday us. <laughs> this is how we all behave on Sundays, you know. Nice and well-behaved. That's a Sunday us. That's the Julia kind of person in us. Imagine two kinds of people living in us, each of us. First is the Sunday us. The second <clears throat> is a Zebulun and the Naphtali person living in every one of us. And this person is full of sin, full of greed, full of restlessness, full of a lack of trust in God, full of lust, full of selfish ambition, full of darkness. Uh, let us call this the Monday us. Right? The Sunday you and the Monday you. The Sunday me and the Monday me. Right? Two very uh, different people. Now imagine Jesus finds you on Tinder. No, sorry. Jesus talks to you when you're praying. Imagine Jesus comes to you 
and he asks you out on a date. Now, who will you send on the date with Jesus? Will you send your Sunday you to meet with Jesus? Or will you send your Monday you to meet with Jesus? Of course, of course, we are going to send the Sunday you and dress up that Sunday you extra special and make that Sunday you even more holy, even more pretentious. And we're going to send the Sunday you. I'm going to send my Sunday me and you're going to send the Sunday you to the day with Jesus. Hey, it's not the Sunday you that Jesus is after. He wants the Monday you. He wants the Tuesday you. He wants the darkest you. The gospel of Jesus Christ has turned every world religion on its head, including Christianity, which merely followed as a religion. Every God wants the holy you. Every God wants you to clean up your act. You know, I'm tempted to use another word instead of act. Imagine that. Every God wants you to clean up your act and then come to him. But Jesus says, I've come to clean up your act. I died taking your mess upon myself. I've come, I want to date your darkest part, not just date and continue to allow you to live in your darkness. I want to date your darkest part and I want to transform. I want to bring my light into you. When light comes, darkness please. Even we know that. When we switch on the light, darkness please. When Jesus, the light of the world, takes the darkness in us, take the, takes the dark us out on a date, darkness comes. Jesus, the light of the world, chooses to come to the darkest part of our hearts first. This is the message of Advent. This is the beauty of Jesus Christ. This is the beauty of the gospel. So this Advent, this Advent, Jesus is knocking at the darkest part of your heart. Will you accept him? Or will you reject him? At some level, we are all choosing to walk in the darkness of godless prosperity. Oh, a thousand times every day, we are taking that decision that we want success, we want to be rich, famous, successful. None of that is bad. None of that is wrong. Jesus wants to give us all that, but not godless prosperity. He wants to give us godly flourish, and not just in our careers. He wants us to flourish as emotionally rich human beings. He wants, to, he wants us to flourish as people who are loving and compassionate, who, who don't only think about their success, but who are really concerned about what's happening in the country, what's happening in the world. That's the kind of transformation Jesus wants to bring about in every one of us. So this Advent, will you love Jesus? Will you receive Jesus into the darkest part of your heart? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that he came for everyone. Uh, we thank you that you are reaching out to every one of us here on the Zoom call. Uh, whether we are uh, followers of Jesus 
whether we are explorers, whether we are wanderers, you are reaching out. You love every one of us. And you are. You desire to come as the light into every one of our darkness. And so, Lord, even as we uh, sing the song and, and spend a little bit more time focusing on Jesus, Holy Spirit, you come, you birth in every one of our hearts a greater faith in Jesus. Teach us to reject godless prosperity, the darkness of godless prosperity, and help every one of us walk into the light of godly flourish. In Jesus' name we pray.